welcome to episode 73 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. Today we'll talk about some of our observations in the nighttime sky and a little bit of gear as well. I'm Chris. Joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we do astronomy just for the fun of it. And this podcast is how we share the fun with you. It's my birthday. How's your Happy week been, Shane? Happy birthday <laughs> to you. There is literally a cake in the oven and my house is filling with the sweet, sweet smells of a gluten-free chocolate cake. <laughs> wow. So is, are, like, is that all for you or are you sharing some uh, with Rebecca? I will share some with Rebecca. Okay. okay. But yeah, the week, my week didn't start off that great. I decided that I would eat a handful of nuts that I'm allergic to a week ago. Oh no. So, so there was that, but you know, it's, it's amazing in, in the time of COVID call up the doctor and uh, get some magical prescription courier to the house within a couple hours. And oh, then, really? Yeah. Didn't have to leave my home. It's, it's great. Cause, cause you know, and it, it kind of makes sense too, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're become ill or whatever, you know, and I, I know, um, this sort of pales in comparison to some of the other illnesses people are having these days for sure. But, uh, but you kind of don't want to go out. And then like when we're sick, generally, maybe it's not such a great idea to go out. So, uh, so anyhow, uh, that, that was sort of how my week went, but, uh, let's see, let's just jump into some observing updates. Sounds like you were able to get out. Did you get out with the Frankenscope? I got out a few times this week. So the weather here has been incredible. So for the beginning of December, we have had daytime highs in on the positive side of the thermometer. Uh, so some melting. And then, you know, in the evenings, it's been like minus two to maybe minus eight, which for our location like that, this is like, you know, like being on the beach almost. It's Just quite about. warm. Yeah, it's quite warm for this time of the year. And on top of that, we've had clear nights. So yeah, um, I got out a few times. Um, the first time I was out, uh, I forget which day that was, I think Tuesday, maybe can't mm -hmm. remember. Uh, but I, I had the Frankenscope out. So that's the 60 millimeter Tasco. And, um, you know, what I turned it into really was a, an open cluster session. Um, mm -hmm. I, I started looking, well, actually, a little bit embarrassing, and I, I need to own up to this. So <laughs> that night, I was planning to do a lunar session. I was really excited to spend a lot of time on the moon. So I got all my material together, my, my map, my uh, polarizing filter, um, a bunch of stuff, notepad. I took a picture of all of this, that you know, all my gear uh, that was on the counter, and I tweeted out a photo of that saying, really excited for a good lunar session tonight. Uh, took the telescope out, went outside, and I thought, moon, well, moon the, the moon, the moon should later. be here by now. What, what's <laughs> what's going so on? And um, what, <laughs> so the, here's the embarrassing part. So earlier in the day, I was excited to, to look at the moon. I knew it was coming up. Uh, so on my watch, I have a little lunar app that shows the phase. And if you tap it, you you can see where it is in the sky and you can advance time and then get an idea of where it will be in the sky when you want to do your observing. So I did that. Um, and at about seven or 8 PM, it was going to be perfect, perfectly positioned in the Southern sky, probably about as high as it would get the entire evening. So I thought this will be a great night to observe. I go out, there's no moon in the sky and I'm thinking, well, what is going on? And 
this 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 is me you know being kind of a knucklehead the the app on my watch was set to greenwich england so it was telling me where the moon was if i was you know in greenwich at the time uh as opposed to in regina saskatchewan which is you know uh just on the six, other side of the ocean hours. <laughs> nine hours difference or i guess yeah it's six hours difference right yeah. 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 Six yeah. hour time yeah. zone difference. Yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, I, you know, I was a little frustrated with myself, but I, yeah. I had a little, a little bit of a chuckle. And then I thought, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of things to look at in the sky and it's a great, like right now is a great time to be looking at open clusters. Um, mm -hmm. In the Eastern sky, it is so rich with open, uh, with open clusters that um, are easily observed with small telescopes and even uh, binoculars. So um, let me take you through my little journey here that I had with the Frankenscope. All right. Um, so, okay. I, so tell us about the Frankenscope again, really quick. Sure. So it's a, it's a TASCO telescope from the fifties, um, late fifties, I think. And uh, it has a Royal Astro optical objective, which is uh, renowned for really good quality. Um, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of rebranded telescopes. So Tasco um, and then a bunch of others uh, sold telescopes, but the optics were made by a lot of different um, optical companies in Japan. And uh, Royal Astro is renowned as one of the better ones in terms of quality control and that type of stuff. So it's a 60 millimeter telescope with a focal length of 910 millimeters. It's an achromatic refractor. Um, and then I kind of pieced together a whole bunch of miscellaneous parts to put it on a modern mount and to adapt it to inch and a quarter eyepieces or accessories. Um, and it works really, really well. Um, I quite like this little scope. Um, and it lives in my garage. So, um, you know, us being in a colder climate, my garage is not heated. So mm -hmm. the telescope is a little closer to ambient temperature of the outdoors. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I bring it back into the garage, um, it, it warms slowly. So, um, you know, you don't get the condensation issues and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little scope. Cool. So what I did, uh, you know, being the moon was not going to happen that night unless I stayed up till 11 or midnight. And, you know, it was a work night, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I started with the Pleiades um, because... I love that open cluster. Um, it's, you know, very, it, it's very easy to find just with your naked eye, but through binoculars, it's, it's just amazing, you know, with all of the, I don't know how many stars there are in that cluster, but, you know, through my little 60 millimeter, I think I was probably in the 40 ish star neighborhood in that mm -hmm. entire uh, collection. Hmm. Um, and it's incredible. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure like M45 in the photos, um, th there's some nebulosity around the brighter stars, like some blue neb nebulosity. Um, in my 12 inch Newtonian that I used to have, I could just see traces of that occasionally, uh, visually through not, not the color, but just the nebulosity. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like even through the 60, like there was a little bit of a background haze kind of around those stars. Now, oh. I don't know if I was really seeing the nebulosity or if there's some other effect, but I Felt like there was something there, and maybe well, it was even, just my brain. even from the city. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I. It just doesn't make sense. I think it was my brain playing tricks with me. So, 
Um, I, I won't say. chalk that up to a, a real observation, but yeah, one of those nights was pretty clear. Could have been. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that was um, that was. Let me think about this again. Yeah, the, that was Thursday night that Thursday I was night, doing. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And that was that was a really good night. Yeah. It was super clear. That was a really, yeah. really good night. So, I mean, yeah. the the kind of way to tell is like if you went out last night, you couldn't see. You shouldn't have been able to see it last night. I don't think it was as good. And you know, uh, other nights might not be as good. Tonight won't be as good. So, yeah. try it. Yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I should. So started with the Pleiades and then from there, it, you know, you're not too far from the Hyades. So just a little bit, uh, uh, kind of Southwest, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, that cluster is another beautiful open cluster. It's in Taurus. Um, there's lots of stars to see there. Not quite as pretty as the Pleiades in my opinion, but you know, in, in this season of open clusters, it's part of the tour. So mm -hmm. you have to do that one too. Um, another great one that you can just see naked eye, but also, you know, looks great through binoculars. Um, so then I, I started to travel upwards in the sky. Well, first I'll say I tried for the Crab Nebula. No luck. Couldn't find mm -hmm. it. Um, not really surprised, but figured I'd give it a, a go. I wasn't using any Nebula filter. Maybe that would have helped me a little bit. But yeah. I, again, I wasn't there for the nebula. Uh, I was there for the open clusters. Because here's the thing too, um, you know, open clusters are one of those things you can observe from the city and they often look pretty good. Uh, yeah. Now they'll probably look better from a dark sky, but you know, you can, you can get a lot of enjoyment out of those under light polluted skies. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so we, we looked at the Hyades, we looked at the Pleiades, headed upwards. These clusters are the great ones, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, headed up to Perseus. And, you know, I don't think I've ever looked at Malot 20. And I don't know why I haven't. It's an That's incredible... the, uh, the Alpha Perseus moving group, the large, the large yeah. cluster, right? Yeah. Yeah. It nice. is amazing. And yeah, I have sketches of it. I actually showed it to you once. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, long time ago, like more than four years ago. Um, anyway. Yeah. 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 You know, it, like M45 or the Pleiades gets a lot of fanfare and it should, cause it's a beautiful, beautiful open cluster, but I think M20 is nicer. Um, it's, it's so much larger and it has so you mean, many. Sorry. You mean Malat 20? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Malat 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so much better in my opinion. And, and, you know, Hyades can't even, you know, it can't even compare to, to either of those, in my opinion. But uh, Malat 20 is fantastic. If anybody has not seen it, uh, you, you really should try to have a view. Um, the wider the field, the better, because this thing is huge. Like, I could not fit it in my uh, field of view with the Frankenscope. Yeah, it's, which, it's um, like a really good binocular cluster or like the yes. ST, ST80, the 80 millimeter 5. F5 uh, telescope with lowest power eyepiece. Good for that. Yeah. 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 Cause I was using the 24 millimeter pen optic, uh, which gives me about a one and a half degree field uh, in the Franken scope. And uh, yeah, just not wide enough, but it was still beautiful to pan through there and take it all in. I was really, really impressed with that. Yeah. Um, and then in that general neighborhood, you have another open cluster, which is uh, M34, or, you know, one of the Messier objects. Um, it's a nice compact open cluster. It definitely fit within my field of view. Um, you know, it, uh, it stands out 
but um, you know, after after seeing Malat twenty and M forty five, you know, M thirty four doesn't uh, doesn't wow quite the same way, but still neat to see that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also up in that region is uh, NGC thirteen twenty four, um, which was kind of disappointing to be honest. Um, you know, I need to go back to it just to make sure I had the right object actually, like compare the star field. But, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't knock my socks off. Um, 13, but, sorry, which one? 1394? 24. I see 24 as a spiral galaxy in Eridanus. Oh, okay. So, well, you know what? I need to go check my star chart then. Um, where was it? It's up by Perseus. Let me just pull up my uh, planetarium hmm. here. Cause I'm, yeah, Cause I was like, I haven't heard of that open cluster up there before. I was like, Google it. Usually I don't do that. I'm not trying to uh, challenge you and your objects or anything, but I was like, oh, that sounds good. And I'm like, all right, gotta, gotta oh. look this up here. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. No, it, uh, it was 1245, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, let me just see here. Is that the right one? Selection. Yeah, that sounds about right. Info. Yeah, it's an open cluster in Perseus. Yeah, that's it. That's this it. Discovered Sorry. by William Herschel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good. That's a good one. Yeah. So um, it was a fun night, you know, and and <laughs> kind of a lucky night, right? Because I started off thinking this is going to be a lunar night. Um, and then if you if you basically start at the horizon, so this is, you know, we're observing at about 50 degrees latitude. Um, this was about 7 or 7.30 p.m., and maybe 20 or 30 degrees up, you start with the Hyades, you work your way to the Pleiades, and then kind of go over to Perseus, and there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you, if you go up just a little bit further uh, near Cassiopeia, um, you're going to get into the double cluster, double which is cluster, you know, yeah. two beautiful open clusters um, side by side. Now that one, the double cluster does look way better under a dark sky compared to the city. Mm-hmm. But it's still it's still a really beautiful object to take in, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that concluded my my you know open cluster tour. Um, there's a lot. I, well, there's definitely other open clusters in that region of the sky, but all of these are like like just outstanding clusters. They're they're bright, they're big, uh, they're easy to find, and uh, I highly highly recommend uh, folks you know to get out and observe these while they're. Um, relatively easy to see. So, mm-hmm. cool. so I, uh, I, I did a follow-up to all of that stuff um, the next night using the little mini Borg. Oh um, yeah. So, Cause I, yeah. Cause I thought, cause I, you know, like I said, it was a bit of a down week for me. I did do some astronomy, but uh, I thought you were observing these originally with your Borg until you started telling me the story today about using the Tasco. So cool. Continue. Yeah, so I had the Borg out, and um, so the Borg is a 50 millimeter telescope, so a little bit smaller aperture, but way, way less focal length. It's 250 millimeters, so this gives me a five and a half degree field of view. So very wide, um, very, um, very binocular-ish, you know, but just with the high quality of the telescope. Um, so looked at all of those same clusters. Um, and I have to say, I think I preferred the views largely through the Borg, just because when you're looking at these open clusters, the wider field is just nicer. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it, it helps bring things in. Um, 
what I ended up doing too, actually, was uh, using that five millimeter Nikon um, NAVSW um, just to provide a little more power, but also, you know, have a nice wide field. Yeah, I love that eyepiece. Yeah, yeah, it worked really well. Um, one thing that really jumped out at me with the Borg, though, was um, just the color rendition of some of the stars. Like some of the red stars really seemed to pop with that telescope. And I'm not sure why, but um, yeah, really, really good. Hmm. Um, what's also interesting is, so I kind of went between the 24 millimeter panoptic and the five millimeter Nikon. Um, the panoptic was mostly sharp to the edge. I'd say the outer 15% or so, um, the stars lost a little bit of their shape. Well, you're getting um, like a lot of, cause that telescope only has like what a 250 millimeter focal length. So you've got a lot of field curvature there. You think about, you think mm -hmm. about that as a sphere, right? I mean, yeah, you know, it's like, like smaller than a basketball, I think, you know, or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. You're right. Um, it, it's maybe it's, larger than a basketball, but it's in that, it's in that realm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But what really surprised me was the Nikon was like basically pin pinpoint sharp to the edge. Like I was really surprised at how well it did on that little telescope. Well, I can tell you why that is. That's because yeah. those eyepieces are tuned for shorter focal length mm. telescopes because Nikon developed the SW series more for field scopes than for larger instruments. Mm -hmm. So no surprise here. And using it on my smaller instruments uh, when I almost stole it from you uh, over the summer, and seriously thought about stealing from you. I, I may buy one eventually. <laughs> um, I really, really liked it in my small scopes. Now, did have some weird blackouts uh, in certain scopes from time to time in certain certain configurations in certain scopes. Um, yeah. But I think I think overall, um, very good eyepiece. Really liked it a lot. Yeah. 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 So you know, jumping from twenty four millimeters to five millimeters leaves a lot in between. And um, I did try my Leica zoom which is like uh, 17.8 millimeter down to 8.9, I think is the range. Mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't, it wouldn't reach focus in the little Borg. Um, mm. The Leica requires an exceptional amount of in-focus or mm -hmm. tra inward travel uh, to achieve focus. And I, I couldn't do it. So mm. now with the Borg, you know, there's all the adapters and, you know, things that you can do to change it. So I know if I put in a different, barrel and a couple other changes the Leica wouldn't work but um you know that wasn't going to happen that night mm -hmm. um so it really had me wishing though that you know I had a, a fixed focal length uh, wide field 10 millimeter in my kit and I I don't yeah. and with how good the Nikon worked you know I'm kind of got the itch for maybe another Nikon eyepiece but uh Anyway, I think of like the 10 maybe or the 12. Oh, you should go for that 12 or 12 and a half, 102 degree. That's your eyepiece. No, no, I don't like the 100 degree eyepieces. I, I've looked through them and I don't care for that. Like when you have to like ratchet your eyeball around in its socket to take in the whole field of view, I just, uh, you know, I don't understand the point of them. So that's, uh, that's me and my curmudgeoned old ways now. <laughs> If it's not like looking through a soda straw, I don't want none of it. Well, yeah, you know, now with those super monos, like, uh, you know, isn't, isn't 50 degrees a wide field of view? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So you think of maybe like the 10 millimeter SW? Well, yeah, probably about a 
the tan and and I think they make like a 17.2 or something like that. It's, yeah, they make uh, like, they make a they make a 17 17 and a half something like that. Uh, yeah. 14 they make a 10, a 7 and a 5. And now very similar to the Pentax line and I think because both the Pentax and the Nikons are optimized for field scopes like uh, spotting scope kind of telescopes. Um the higher power ones uh, tend to get better reviews when used astronomically. And for those that lower power range, people tend to use like the Bader uh, Morpheus 76 degree field of view eyepieces. Mm. Yeah. The, the Morpheus is also on my list, you know, since I, well, this is like since the last couple of days, mm. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I would probably either go Nikon or maybe Morpheus, um, I think the Nikons are getting a little harder to find, but, um, mm. you know, I may not buy any of them either because I don't know if I want to spend money on some new eyepieces. But. Another, another option would be the Explore Scientific 12 millimeter, 90 degree, 92 degree eyepiece. Yeah. There that gets go. a lot of good reviews for sure. It does but. get a lot of good reviews. Then it doesn't have the crazy hundred degrees that you're so set against in your old ways. And uh, yeah, yeah. Cause I, 92 is, <laughs> is so different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. these wide field kids you know <laughs> yeah i still haven't used my i have the 12 and a half doctor and i still haven't used it as as much as uh as as i would have hoped um having bought it sort of just months before the pandemic so oh yeah, well yeah yeah but well i'm uh, sure you'll get some usage out of that coming up yeah yeah i hope so i should i should really uh just get it out in the yard uh, a little bit, a little bit more here, and maybe do maybe do some of these some of these open clusters. My yard's so light polluted; uh, it's just completely ridiculous um, yeah. in the winter. Like without any of the leaves on the trees, which block um, a portion of the lights, and with the snow on the ground reflecting all the lights <laughs> back at me, it's like it's pretty bright out there. Like even in the summer, I can do my sketching without a light. I mean, no problem mm -hmm. at all. And right now it's like, I kind of would, would like to dim it down uh, a couple notches, even just for sketching. Like it's, it's that bright out there, like literally. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had one more session yeah. and I'll, uh, and then I'll turn it over to you to hear about your, your sure. week. Yeah. Um, so yesterday I, I had a daytime session with the mini Borg. Um, I took yeah. it out to look at the sun. Um, Properly filtered. So Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, or did you get a filter for it? Well, so I have a, a Bader white light filter uh, for my camera. I bought oh, it okay. for eclipses and you know, that type of stuff. Um, it's a, what it is, is it's a binocular uh, white light solar filter. Okay. Um, that is just nicely, it's, it's the right size for my camera uh, lenses. So works great there. But because it's made for like 50 millimeter binoculars, it's ideal for a 50 millimeter mini Borg. And, mm. uh, so I just put that on the front of it and then I used, um, I used just some basic plossels like that Antares elite plossel. Um, that's a 15 millimeter. And then I brought out, uh, the TMB super monos and, uh, even the Vixen HRs actually, uh, yesterday. Okay. So, um, where to start? Maybe I'll start with the detail on the sun. So there is a pretty prominent sunspot yesterday. So yesterday was uh, Saturday, December 5th, here, December 5th. Um, there was a pretty prominent sunspot right in the middle or right in the center of the sun, uh, just South of the equator. 
Um, my estimate is, I think it's about earth sized, you know, if you, mm. if you think about the scale. So, um, uh, let me just say this. So this is the first time I used the 50 millimeter on the sun with a white light filter. And I was really, really impressed. Uh, this session really, uh, I think it's cemented that this 50 millimeter is, is going to be one of the best travel telescopes that I have mm. because it's just so darn small, so easy to mount. Um, in fact, what I didn't mention too about my open cluster viewing is I, I actually took this telescope off of the mount and just handheld it with no the way. again to see how it would work. <laughs> and it was awesome. Like it worked really well. The only thing you gotta, you weird, gotta make the binoculars now. Now you have yeah, to make maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a great telescope, uh, because it worked so well at night and during the day, I think it's, it's going to be an excellent travel scope. But mm -hmm. anyway, to talk about some of the features on the sun, um, there was this, uh, there was a sunspot that had excellent umbra and penumbra definitions. So, uh, the umbra is kind of the darker part of the sunspot, but then right around it is a lighter gray area that was well-defined. Um, and about seven o'clock relative to the sunspot was a, like a black dot. And I'm not sure if it was a pore. So the pore, or sorry, the sun surface in white light has a, it's called granulation. And, it, you know, it looks like little rice, like almost like the sun surface is made up of rice grains. Mm. Um, now that's not easy to see. Not all telescopes will resolve that. You usually need a little bit of aperture uh, to see that. But occasionally what will happen is one of these granulation points um, has a different temperature and it appears black almost, and it's known mm. as a pore. So I'm not sure if I was seeing a pore or if this was just a bridged, like kind of a part of the, uh, the sunspot complex or if it was a separate sunspot, it was hard to really tell, but it was definite mm. that there's this little black dot there. Um, but what was really, really interesting is on the Eastern limb, uh, there's a, there's a pretty large sunspot that you could see. And, you know, what i like about sunspots on the limb is it really makes the sun appear like a globe because you see, you kind of see just the side of it. it. It's, it's hard to describe, but it really makes the sun take on a three dimensional, um, sort of appearance. Mm -hmm. However, there's very noticeable limb darkening and extremely impressive faculae uh, detail, which, um, you know, if you see facula detail, it is usually on the limb because of the limb darkening. Um, but anyway, it was just, it was really neat to see some of that detail in this little scope. And I did see some minor granulation, which, um, you know, I, I've never tried with a 50 millimeter telescope on the sun before. Um, so it's hard for me to say if this was um, like a, just a really good performing telescope or if this is common for a 50 millimeter. But I was, uh, I was really thrilled actually with, um, with what I was able to see. Um, I used, uh, I went down to the 3.4 millimeter Vixen HR, which did okay. Mm. But I really, I stayed at four millimeters um, using the TMB Super Mono. It provided the best views. And so that's pushing this 50 millimeter telescope to 62 and a half times magnification. And wow. it did, it did quite well on the sun. I was really, wow, that really is good. impressed. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I had a, I had a really fulfilling week of, of uh, observing. I was really happy with what I was able to fit in and trying to take as much advantage as I could with the nice weather that we're having. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So how about how about your week, Chris? Yeah, well, I really, you know, Christmas is is coming up, and I finally have all the parts for that uh, that scope for my nephew. Um, this is the eighty millimeter f five Skywatcher. 
um, that I did that I did buy new um, and and had it sort of as as one side of my mind that I would maybe give it to him or maybe keep it for our outreach or do something else with it, um, depending on where, where his interest in science uh, went over the past uh a few months, but he's just become apparently, you know, doesn't live anywhere near me, but I get, I talk to him and I get reports from my family. He's just more and more into all things science. So I'm like, all right, he's, he's getting this now for sure. And so I, uh, I had purchased a 32 millimeter Skywatcher Plossel um, on sale for 30 bucks, new old stock. Um, so there's that. And then I also bought a couple Astrotech Paradigm eyepieces, a five millimeter and a 12 millimeter, which are two eyepieces I always wanted to try because they sort of universally get the highest rating in the budget eyepiece category. Um, and so honestly, for, for less than 60 bucks each American, I thought that's worth the price of admission just for me to get them, to test them just, just to see. Um, and so this week I was kind of able to get them out a couple times and sort of do some, some extensive, I guess not too extensive, but testing them to my own, uh, fulfillment. Um, I like the 32 millimeter Plossel. It is a $30 eyepiece. Um, one of the, one of the downsides of the buying an eyepiece that is, that is still new, but really old is that it, um, the eye cap, uh, or the eye cup had worn a bit just from mm-hmm. simply being in that down position for who knows, like 10 years or whatever it's been. I don't know. Um, and, and so it looks a little bit worn, but it's, it's sort of almost fixed in the down position. I did put it up and it does work. Um, but you tend to put it down to put the cap on. I'm like thinking, you know what, he's probably not even going to notice you can put the cap up and he's, um, at low power anyway, he's going to be wearing his glasses anyway. So I'm like, this doesn't really matter. Um, and, uh, it performs very well. It does have a recessed lens, although the, the eye relief is fine for eyeglass wearers. Um, the, the recessed bit of the barrel, I guess, that sticks above the glass, you kind of get a bit of reflection from any kind of lights. And like I always say, I have a lot of lights around in my area. So they would kind of glint off the inside of that. Now, if I kind of took my glasses off and then put my eye in or, or, or cuff my hand around it. Uh, you wouldn't get any of that at all, but uh, that that was sort of the only downside of that uh, of that plossel. And it it gives that full um, just I think it's just over a four degree field of view um, in that little telescope. So you know it's it's pretty amazing that for sixty bucks you could have an eyepiece that gives the views that eyepiece gives in that telescope. Um, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, I was really really thrilled. Um, really, really thrilled with it. So end up watching uh, Jupiter and Saturn because uh, they're uh, not quite four degrees apart. And so uh, my wife and I end up spending a couple of evenings out just looking at, at the two of those with that eyepiece in. Pretty neat. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I started testing out the Astrotech paradigms and these are really neat. Like, you know, when I was first getting into astronomy years ago and and, and I first bought an 80 millimeter telescope. I kind of just used uh, my Teleview Plossels um, that, that I owned at that time. And, and they're good eyepieces, but they're not, they weren't inexpensive. I think at the time they were even 110 or 120 bucks. And I think they're around about the same price now, uh, American. 
And then um, the eye relief is very short. So you can't wear your glasses at all when you're using them. And then as well, um, uh, the field of view is pretty small. I think they're around like 50 degrees. Um, but they're, but other, otherwise they're, they're good. But if you need to wear glasses, um, you're not going to be wearing glasses uh, while you use them. Now the Astrid, oh, and as well, like, so, and, and maybe my main point here is that when the eye relief is, is tight and the field of view is small, the comfort is reduced. And uh, sort of getting something ready for somebody else, uh, you, and, and even for myself, when I'm setting up my own stuff, I, I try to keep comfort and usability in mind because if it's not comfortable to use the instrument and it's not fun to use the instrument, you're not going to want to use the instrument, right? I mean, that just goes part and parcel. Now you and I have some custom high power eyepieces that have like zero eye relief and whatever, and we'll use those from time to time. But in a lot of our observing, there's, there's nights like, whoa, I'm like, you know, I just don't feel like cramming my eyepiece into, or my eye into an eyepiece tonight. I'm just going to use comfortable eyepieces and, you know, have a great session. There's just nights I don't want to do that. Um, but to kind of give somebody eyepieces like that right off the start, I feel like that's not a, that's not a good thing uh, to do to them. Um, and I think that's one of the other things that people run into when they're getting into astronomy and they think that there's something wrong with them and their ability to do astronomy, but really it turned out that, that the gear just wasn't very um, ergonomic or comfortable or, or didn't work uh, well. So I'm trying to make sure that all this stuff works well. So anyway, the, uh, the paradigm eyepieces, I got the, the 12 millimeter, which gets the highest reviews in the five millimeter, um, which gets uh, also very good reviews on the Cloudy Nights forum, which coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, Astronomics Telescopes uh, owns uh, the Cloudy Nights forum, but they're, uh, they're very good. And if you're a Cloudy Night forum member, you get a few percent off. I think in total, I end up getting um, about $6 off uh, when I ordered both the eyepieces. So not, not a big deal, but typically these are eyepieces you can get from a variety of manufacturers, from a variety of different telescope suppliers. Typically they are $60. So by getting them this way, you're getting them about $3 off each. So, you know, for what it's worth. Um, and for whatever reason, I also noticed that the AstroTech paradigms tend to get uh, reviewed more. I can't imagine there's that much differences between them, but uh, Anyway, they come out, come in a few different brandings like uh, BST, which I think is the branding that Agena Astro sells. I buy lots from Agena Astro in the States as well. And, uh, and they carry them under the BST brand for like $60 or something like that too. Uh, but they didn't have them in stock. And so uh, I went with Astronomics. I've ordered a couple of times from Astronomics in, in the distant past. And uh, again, they end up being a few bucks cheaper. Um, in the telescope, and handling, so they're really, you open them up and they're well packaged. They actually come with a cleaning cloth, which I was like, that's kind of neat. And mm -hmm. then um, they're kind of funny shaped. Uh, they're shaped more like a Pentax XW or, or maybe if nobody's seen something like that, they're almost like a little bit mushroom shaped where the, the barrel uh, is pretty thin and then they get pretty fat towards the top and have a lot of like rubber around the top, but they're very solid um, and they're not super light, but they kind of remind me of like a really mini Pentax XW. Uh, so they feel pretty good in, in your hand, but they're not very, they're not really all that big. They're big for like a beginner um, eyepiece. You know, they're multiple times the size of a Plossel, but they're really not big eyepieces and they're not heavy eyepieces. In the telescope um, and using them, 
I, I wanted to make sure that they were comfortable and that you could really see the field of view very easily, like no blackouts, like we've talked about, no weird mm -hmm. optical effects that just some, sometimes I know there, there was a brand of eyepieces out years ago when, when they first started making comfortable long eye relief eyepieces and I bought them and they were horrible. You just, it was really hard to actually see anything through them. Um, and I worried that maybe these would be similar, but these are not like that. All these are super comfortable and it almost seemed like no matter how you look through them, you could always see the stars or whatever you're trying to look for. So I really like that. So even though the eye relief on them isn't, isn't necessarily designed for using glasses with them, um, I could see the majority of the field of view with my glasses on. And because these have 60 degree apparent field of views, as opposed to say like a Plaza with 50 degree, I found that with my glasses on, I was able to get about 50 degree field of view. So I thought that's really good. And then if you do want to see the full field, you can just take your glasses off and then, uh, and, and then seeing the full field was really, really easy. And the, the angle uh, to look through them, like you could look through them at all kinds of weird and wacky angles and you would always see stuff through them. So they're very, very comfortable uh, to use. So that was really exciting. And um, I, I spent some time looking at Mars, spent some time looking at Jupiter, spent some time looking at Saturn through them. And, uh, did want to confirm that, uh, you know, through this telescope and the set of eyepieces I did buy, you know, be able to see like the rings of Saturn and the moons of Jupiter and some of that detail on the cloud tops of Jupiter. And we could see like, okay, detail on, on Mars It's starting to get further away now, but you know, right now, if you're starting to see detail on Mars, that, uh, that at least it's, it's going to be good enough for someone that's getting into, uh, into astronomy, I think. So, yeah, I really like these eyepieces. I think that uh, they are great starter eyepieces. I certainly wish that I had had an opportunity to have eyepieces like this when I was getting going because they're about half the cost and about, well, they're, they're just better. Like they're easier to look through and, uh, and they're just, the, the quality on them I think is, is there. Now, I don't know if they're quite as sharp like at the center and probably if you ran some really detailed analysis, you, you might find out that I don't know, maybe the coatings aren't quite, you know, what you're going to get with a really high end uh, plaza that costs twi twice as much. Um, but for people that are just getting going, um, boy, I really think that it's, it's hard to beat these, uh, these paradigms. I, I still think that in the lowest power range, um, you know, getting a, a 32 millimeter plaza of some sort from Skywatch or whoever, like I think pretty much in general, they're all about the same uh, is, is the way to go for your low power finder. Uh, but then getting something like a five and a 12 or, or whatever works for you is, uh, is a really great way to go uh, with these, these paradigm eyepieces. So, so yeah, that's my bit of a review on those and uh, starting to get things ready and packaged up to, uh, to ship off this week, I think. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to compare the paradigms to the SV Boney uh, Ashferics that we just talked to Phil about. Um, mm. I, I bought one of those SV Boney Ashfirics oh. or maybe even a couple. Um, so, you know, I, I've given some of my old classic tele telescopes to some family members. And yeah. I, when I do that, what I usually do is I convert them over to inch and a quarter mm -hmm. and then provide some modern eyepieces. So for my dad, um, I gave him one of these old telescopes and uh, he's got a couple of these SV Boney Ashfirics, but I really haven't, you know, I haven't tested them that much. And mm -hmm. um yeah, I wonder how they would compare to the paradigms because they're they're both in that sixty degree field of view, uh, you know, uh, 
classification. So, yeah, I wonder um, what the eye relief is is like on them. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, mm. You know, next time I, I visit my parents, uh, maybe I'll because I actually don't think my dad is doing a lot of observing, um, especially now that it's a little colder out. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll borrow the eyepiece back and uh, you know test it out for a couple of nights to see what I think of it. Yeah, I've thought about getting some of those to test. I I, I kind of hear like some some mixed reviews just in the like the robustness of them, mm. and uh, I think. I think that's good. I, I just kind of thought with my nephew, he might kind of knock them around a little. And these eyepieces, and honestly, I've knocked my eyepieces around quite a bit. These eyepieces, I'm certain, will take a pretty good couple dozen sets of knocks before you'd have any kind of real uh, performance uh, damage to them. So they're they're pretty heavily rubberized. And so I was like, you know, these are really quite perfect for for a younger uh, guy who's, who's just getting into doing more sciencey stuff. Cause I could totally see him setting, setting things out and then kind of grabbing the whole thing with, uh, with maybe an eyepiece or two still left on the tray and, and them falling down. But, uh, I, I think these are going to be totally, totally fine, uh, for that kind of, that kind of use. But yeah, I've always wanted to try those. I think there is, I don't know how you say some of these things. I think it's aspheric or aspheric or something like that. Um, ones from Mead or SV Boney. Um, that sounds interesting. I didn't realize the eye relief was that good on them. So I thought they were more like a plossal. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I should probably look to see, I'm sure somebody's measured the eye relief online. Um, yeah. I don't know what they clock in at, but um, you know, there's, there's nothing quite like trying it for yourself. So being, being there not too far from me at my parents' house, I should really just try them out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just seeing if I can find out what the eye relief is is uh, is like on them. Um, it says uh, the 22 millimeter has uh, like 17 millimeter eye relief. Yeah, so that's yeah. But I think scale down though, your your 10 is going to start getting uh, moderately tight. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'd have to see. Interesting mm -hmm. though. Yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to see those. The other ones that, that I, I almost bought were, uh, were a couple of those. Um, uh, they're like a 66 degree field of view and they make them in a six, a nine, a 15 and a 20. Um, but none of those were, were matching the, you know, I wanted to get a five, a 12 and a 32, 32 for the lowest power widest field. 80 millimeter F5 Acromat is a beautiful low power wide field instrument. And I think not getting that 32 millimeter plus with it is, is kind of a bit of a crime, um, especially for the price, like for $60, you have an amazing instrument. Um, you might pay a little bit more if you're buying everything brand new uh, off the shelf, but uh, you know, th that's a really sweet setup. And then um, I really wanted to be able to hit that, uh, that one millimeter exit pupil mark that we talked about before and, and get 80 power out of an instrument is kind of really where you can begin to see uh, quite a bit on the planets and the moon and that sort of thing. And that really is about the ceiling uh, on these 80 millimeter F5s. And then the 12, um, I think is just a nice, uh, like real good uh, low mid power eyepiece, able to see the rings of Saturn very well still. Um, but the power is so low that as long as Saturn is up and it's clear enough, if you point it at, uh, at Saturn with, with that eyepiece and you'll be able to see the rings. Whereas getting much lower, like a 15 or 20 millimeter, I thought, hmm, 
might not be quite enough power to to see those so mm -hmm. so yeah are you looking it up there to see if you can find the details on that um yeah I, nothing's coming up uh yeah wasn't, readily wasn't, wasn't as quick as as i would have uh as i would have liked but uh yeah hopefully this nice warm weather uh continues now that i'm um, getting over this nut uh uh, induced uh, problem that I, I did to myself um, and uh, get out and take uh, a look at uh, the winter sky. I actually saw Orion setting this morning when I got up. I was like, oh, there goes winter. I guess I better start uh, start trying to make some of those uh, observations. Though I've been, you know, I was thinking, you know, I might, might drive out somewhere last night and then I just, just still wasn't feeling good enough. But uh, I, uh, you know, then reading like all kinds of stuff online where like one of the lead uh, health authorities is still kind of recommending that people just stay home and not, not get, not even necessarily doing things that uh, put you in contact with other people, but even just going out because if you fall and twist your ankle and need like medical support here, that could be a challenge at present. So I'm kind of trying to keep those kind of things in mind too, you know, um, yeah. So I think that's, that's kind of the situation we're probably in for the next uh, couple months anyway. So, so I don't know, maybe I'll try your open clusters, uh, from, from the yard. Uh, maybe I'll try to come up with 12 of the best open clusters you can see from a really bad light polluted spot. That could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, there's something that is coming up this Saturday that we haven't talked about that might make for, it, it'll be a challenging observation, but a very interesting one. Oh yeah. What's this? It, so it's daytime. If, oh. if you're out in the afternoon and this is, this is, this is finding Venus during the daytime. Okay. Um, so the moon is a very, uh, like very, I think it's 4.9% illuminated. So there'd be a very thin crescent moon. Um, and in the afternoon, Venus will be less than a degree away uh, from the moon. So if you're able to find this very thin crescent, you should then like, it'll be within a degree. So you'll, you should be able to also observe Venus during the daytime, which I've done once before, but it was using a go-to mount. So it was pretty easy to find it. The, the mount found it for me, but, <laughs> but, um, so this would be like in the morning sky, I'm guessing, or no, no, no. Uh, like two in the afternoon, two in the um, afternoon for, okay. for us here. And you know, what are we CST time zone, I guess. Um, yeah. So earlier, like, you know, you can catch it in the morning, but, um, they're, they're much further apart just as the moon is setting. I think they're actually beginning the moon occults Venus, I believe. Hmm. So wow. I'm, you know, if it's clear, I'm going to, uh, see if I can spot uh, the moon. Like, I think if you know kind of where the moon should be in the sky, which will be in the Southwest, you know, mm -hmm. at two o'clock our time, um, you know, scanning even with binoculars at first, uh, just to locate where the moon is in the sky might be helpful. And yeah. Then, okay. You know, putting the telescope on there, um, you know, you might be able to not only see Venus during the day, but also to see a moon at 4.9% illumination is, um, you know, quite a feat as well. I think that would be a feat. I'll, I'll congratulate you heartily. If you see it, I, I'll go and try, um, for sure. Uh, you know, but uh, boy, that seems like a, that seems pretty tough. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, 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 this is not easy. Um, um, the only way I think that you would, well, not the only way, but one of the ways to uh, increase your success again is to 
use some planetary software, planetarium software, so that you get an idea of where, you know, the moon and Venus will be in the sky uh, for your location. And then, um, and then away you go and, uh, you know, best of luck. Hmm. Well, that sounds really good, Shane. Well, maybe we should leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to ask us questions or leave feedback, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy, or you can email us. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast with a donation, uh, we are selling merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash actual astronomy. We wish you all clear and dark skies.